0: SunCast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. SunCast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Episode 89 of SunCast.
1: There's so much magic that happens every time you help a customer. You're saving them money, making them more independent. You're creating jobs. You're making a cleaner, greener environment for everybody. The country is getting more independent at the same time. Utilities, whether they admit it or not, are benefiting. It's really magical.
0: This is SunCast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and action shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle, a battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. We learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join Solar Industry Veteran, Latin America Fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson. Hey, Solar Warrior, and welcome to episode 89 of Suncast. I'm your host, Nico Johnson, and I'm so glad to have you back. Every week, Suncast provides tomorrow's clean tech leaders with insight and ammunition to carry you through your daily battles. So thanks for tuning in and get ready for your weekly mental tune-up. If you're a regular listener, I'm honored to have you back. Are you a new listener? Well, I'm equally grateful to have you with us as well. And I do hope that you'll check out some of the other amazing interviews with solar leaders like Jigger Shaw, Dan Sugar, and Ed Feo. Today's episode is part two of an interview with Josh Weiner of CEPI Solar. So if you didn't listen yet to episode 88, I would recommend you start there. Also... If you missed episode 86 called Join the Tribe, in it I explain how you can partner with me to help make Suncast a sustainable part of our lives together by joining the Suncast Energy Tribe. If you believe in the value of what Suncast brings to the world, please check out that episode. Then head over to mysuncast.com forward slash member. And if you did listen or you're already a subscriber to the mailing list, then you're aware that tomorrow, June 1st is the official launch of the Patreon campaign. You can learn more about that as well on the member page or by joining my mailing list, both of which are easily found at mysuncast.com. Today on Suncast, we continue to dive deep with Josh Weiner, the CEO and founder of Sepi Solar, a San Francisco Bay Area engineering services company that specializes in the integration of energy storage with solar. They've designed and been responsible For over a thousand residential systems, 200 plus commercial and industrial and agricultural systems, which is more than 50 megawatts, more than 70 megawatts of utility scale projects and more than eight megawatt hours of utility interactive energy storage systems. So these guys know a thing or two when it comes to system optimization and design. Josh was sincerely one of the most interesting and fun interviews I have done. I hope you feel the same after today's discussion. Stay tuned to learn how a 7-Eleven in New York became the pivot point for the solar storage industry in the US, how a downed Boeing Dreamliner changed Josh's career trajectory, a clear case for including energy storage in the investment tax credit, and one of the best answers to the crystal ball question in the history of Suncast. So be sure to stay to the very end. Thanks again, Solar Warrior, for setting aside this time in your day. Please enjoy this week's episode of Suncast, part two of my interview with Josh Weiner of Sepi Soul. Precharge wasn't always a sure bet. In fact, in 2011, it was a fledgling startup who got some press over not just a grant. We'll talk about that, but project that now might be considered one of the seminal pivot points for storage in the US storage market, a 7-Eleven in New York. Tell me about this 7-Eleven. Tell me about why that needed to happen and also how you managed to fund it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it really began with three of us, a fellow by the name of Ron Prosser, amazing guy. He was VP of global services for Boeing for like 20 years, managed billions of dollars of Boeing money. Vic oh. um, Shao, the current CEO, or actually he just left, I think about a month ago, and me and the three of us, I remember having conference calls out of Mountain View Library where you had free <laughs> Wi-Fi and free conference rooms and stuff. Right. I mean, we were sitting down like, OK, you know, electric vehicles are coming. Vic was the software guy. He came from Oracle. Ron was, you know, the big Boeing guy and I was the... Technical engineer who knew a thing or two about solar love it So we got together and we're like, you know electric vehicles are coming. It's going to happen We're talking about moving the entire gasoline infrastructure on the grid. This is a fear factor This is a scare factor for utilities. They are freaking out right now. What are they going to do? Mm. So why don't we talk about this fear and let's also come in with a solution. So it was a bit of a two-pronged attack, if you will. It's like, what? hey, utilities, what are you going to do about this? And oh, by the way, here's what you could do about this. Yeah. And it included batteries. So I researched every battery I could find at the time, companies. And we wrote a grant together about them and what the solution would be. And we defined it as clearly and cleanly as we could. And uh, we got $12 million for doing that.
0: What was the premise of the grant?
1: The premise of the grant was put your money where your mouth is, put some batteries in New York City and with Con Ed as a prime contractor, you know, it's one of these utility grants where they want a utility as a partner. Show us how you're going to make the grid better using Manhattan as a test case. I mean, it was great. We got all kinds of amazing data from Con Ed. We made heat maps of the entire grid wow. of Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens. And we saw it dynamically day by day and morning, evening, afternoon, like how load shifts across the whole area. 7 Eleven was an early customer who was willing to be a guinea pig because you know they they also wanted to be one of the leaders in electric vehicle charging infrastructure. You know, they right, have gas stations. They want yeah. So they want EV chargers. And what we learned is with the grant, we offered them a free charger, free level three high voltage charger, Wow! they were like, we can't afford a free charger because of our utility bill. And so it quickly became a question of how do you not just solve a charging problem? How do you solve an electricity problem? The solution there, of course, is solar storage and EV chargers. And so we did. We put like half a dozen of these systems in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, We were experimenting, we were playing, you know, for example, at this 7-Eleven, I think that we're talking about, what we did was we flatlined the demand profile. So they had a demand profile that looked like a stock symbol going up and down, up and down, but with retail foot traffic coming in and out, it's just the natural way it goes. Sticking a solar system and a battery on there, we flatlined it. First it had a pulse and then it went flat. We showed that to the utility and said, is this useful for you? And they said, yeah, absolutely. We would love everybody to just look like a constant resistor, and we just add you all up and supply you energy, and that solves a ton of grid issues. Before we could get policies in place around that, though, to make a long story short, Solyndra was going out of business. Beacon Power was going out of business. There was a lot of questions and spotlights being put on the DOE. And Green Charge Networks, I mean, we were one of the few companies that were making the DOE look good. And they got into a dispute with Con Ed. You know, we were the ant that got caught in between the two giant elephant mating rituals. You know, they were, you know, we had the big bad DOE and the big bad Con Ed utility fighting each other, and we were just the little ant getting stomped in between. So we ended up shutting down operations in New York and moving to California. I mean, actually, we were talking about closing the company down. We had one contract with the utility; it was under fire. And I'm sitting here going, "But this stuff works. Let's not." Close the business down. And I'm a survivor. I don't know. I, I don't know what it was. I think I was up late one night and I was just, there's gotta be a way to make this battery pencil for customers. We gotta find, we gotta diversify our revenue. I'm I'm the engineer figuring out how to engineer yeah. revenue for the company, you know. I don't know if I was the first one to use demand charge reduction, but this was in 2012, very early 2012. chip had just released or eliminated the requirement to fund storage coupled with renewables. Back before 2012, in order to get rebate in California for storage, it had to be tied to renewables. And they had just lifted that requirement. You could actually get rebate for standalone storage. Right. And I was and like-
0: Under the Self-Gen Incentive Program, SGIP.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right, Self. yeah, thank you. Yeah, the Self-Generation Incentive Program. So I was like, wait a minute, there's money for this? It works. The cost of batteries are, yes, coming down. There's got to be a way to make this work. And I just started to make some models in Excel, draw some stuff on paper. And I went to Vic and Ron and I said, guys, let's not shut the company down. Let's just restart it in California. Ron, rightfully so, right around the same time said, basically, you go do that, but I can't stand behind lithium. Mm. And that led to my leaving Green Charge as well, because Again, in 2012, this is when the Dreamliner got grounded because right. of lithium fires. And what was great about having Ron as a partner is he's a Boeing guy. We walked right into Boeing headquarters and met with the engineers and said, what's going on with these batteries? And believe you me, I mean, these Boeing engineers are smart guys. They're putting people up there. So yeah. I'll take the Pepsi challenge with any engineer in these guys. <laughs> I mean, they, they know safety very well and they couldn't solve the problem. What I came out with was lithium has some inherent issues that are fundamental to the technology. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean it's Inherently unsafe. It just needs to be designed with safety in mind. Ultimately, I came out of there thinking, okay, so I left Green Charge because yes, we have lithium batteries and everything, electric vehicles and cell mm-hmm. phones and laptops, but these are very different applications than stationary storage. And when you put a ton of these lithium batteries in a box next to somebody's building, right. it just has to be looked at differently than a consumer product, especially transportation. The rules are much stricter and there's a lot more regulation that comes into putting people on wheels on batteries and driving them around the country. So I had to leave for the same reasons Ron did. I saw storage as a solution. I couldn't buy into lithium. Vic was more than happy to to take the lithium route and take the company, and he deserves the credit for that. He you know, did an amazing job with the company. But I knew there had to be something else out there that was better or that could leapfrog or that was safer or something. You know, It just felt, it wasn't just the safety aspect too. I mean, when you actually operate these batteries, I don't know if a lot of people know this, like I mean, just mitigating degradation. I mean, lithium is a consumable product that's great for business. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's so great for the customer because once you sell a lithium battery, you get to keep selling them because it is a consumable item. And that is good for business. But I always look for win-win-win situations. And you have to design all these parameters around the lithium battery to mitigate degradation. For example, the more full a battery sits, like 90% state of charge, 100% state of charge, the faster it degrades. So what do you do if it has to sit overnight, drain the battery down to zero? And then only when you're about to need it, you fill it back up and then drain it again. And oh, you, wow. so you, you end up doing all, I call them utilities. There's all these algorithms you write into the battery to mitigate its degradation. There ends up being like thousands of lines of code that you make just because it's a lithium battery as opposed to something else.
0: It sounds like an entire division of Tesla's operation. Yeah. I'm thinking, how do you mitigate that issue with an electric car? You've got BMW, Tesla, everyone's trying to figure this out. And everyone's core philosophy right now is, Based around lithium.
1: I had this discussion with Sugar Magic. So, Next Tracker asked me, like, we did this RFP and I can come back to that, but we were very open book. We're like, we're not picking winners here. Just come one, come all, bring your best, and we'll test you to this common standard and pick the best technology to partner with. And for whatever reason, the flow batteries were just, they were demonstrating, they were proving, not claiming, but proving in front of us that they had exceptionally low costs and low degradation and great performance and all these things. Dan Sugar asked me, like, I mean, look, at he points to his Roadster, you know, and he's like, look at my Tesla Roadster. This thing, I drive it hard. It's bouncing around, juggling, you know, moving around in this car. And I drive it hard. I mean, come on, why don't we just go with lithium? Everybody knows it. And it works, and it's great, you know. So to answer your question, why doesn't it work? Well, I asked him, how often do you drive it? And he's like, I drive it every day, every day. I, you know, I run this car every day. And I'm like, okay. And you drive from your house to the office, you know, how many miles is that roughly? He's like, oh, it's about eighty miles round trip, five days a week. I'm like, okay. Well, if I remember correctly, a Tesla Roadster is a 250 mile battery, right? And he says, yeah. And I said, so eighty miles round trip times five days a week, that's 400 miles. That's like two cycles a week, right? Yeah, it's two cycles a week. And over a year, that's 100 cycles. So with all the great, wonderful, fun driving that we're doing with these electric vehicles, we're only cycling them 100 times a year. And these are 3,000 or 2,000 cycle batteries. Mm. So yes, they're going to last long and great for electric vehicles. They're also great for electric vehicles because lithium likes short duration, high power bursts. When you hit the accelerator of your electric car, you're pulling 30 kilowatts right out of that battery in an instant. And when you hit the regen braking, you're pumping 20 kilowatts right back into it in a moment. And you do that cycle hundreds of times in a single drive. Mm. lithium loves that it's never full it's never empty or it gets empty eventually but it's always just bouncing around in high power short duration bursts that's what lithium likes and that's why it belongs in electric vehicle when you start to look at stationary storage you could be talking near a thousand cycles a year and you're talking about huge swings 100 to zero back to 100 mm. swings in depth of discharges when you get into those longer duration energy applications
0: it occurs to me that while sepi very much helps an industry in need of technical consulting and engineering. I've had several experts that do similar things to you on the show, but far too few of you are actually trying to help figure out at a structural level what solar plus storage looks like. I'd love to know, what do you believe is the next frontier right now? And what corners are you looking around that help solar not become an ancillary service, but become a core function of how we view electrical grids?
1: Thank you for asking that. That's, I mean, that's that's such an exciting question. So part of my strength and weakness is I think being early. So, I hope this becomes the next trend. So, in 2011 and 12, I was figuring out demand reduction. Everybody knows what demand reduction is today. That's the mainstream battery application. Mm-hmm. What I think is coming up next, people have talked about value and revenue stacking, but it still sounds very ephemeral. So, I'd like to make it a little more concrete. And this has to involve solar. So, What frustrated me about lithium was I'm shaving these little spikes, I'm leveling the demand curves, great, okay, and that makes money, makes IRR, but it doesn't necessarily save a lot of money. You can have a very high IRR, but you're only making a 2% dent in somebody's utility bill, and they ask, well, okay, great, you're giving me a 50% IRR, but who cares? And what I found is that there's this limit with lithium. You get to like about four hours, and the cost of lithium just starts to get a little out of control, and you're not adding as much value. And then you start looking at flat load profiles that are just flat, like Walmarts and grocery stores and things that are on all the time, constant. Batteries aren't necessarily great for that. But the moment you add solar, you create something that kind of looks like devil's horns. You know, if you have a flat load profile and you have this big valley at high noon caused by the solar, you end up with these two humps in the morning and the afternoon. I mean, you could draw a straight line to the duck curve with that as well, but those humps are not spiky. They're actually kind of smooth and broad. I kept running into just economics issues, trying to make that pencil, trying to shave those humps. And with other kinds of technologies, I discovered you can totally address those humps. But now you're putting batteries and solar on the same project. And what I'm frustrated with or what I see a lot of, and I just can't help but want to solve that problem, is I see a bunch of solar developers developing solar projects, battery developers developing battery projects, and, oh, let's just connect on the AC side at the main point of connection or at the main service. And while that's simpler in development and EPCing because you have different skill sets on different projects that just happen to be the interfunctional or interconnected it's such a lost opportunity next tracker is going to market with dc coupling systems precisely to address that but that is a technical solution to a fundamental problem in our industry that I think is the next thing that we're going to address, which is it's not solar or batteries or solar and batteries. It is just solar plus batteries. It is just one system that is fully integrated. You don't mm. need two inverters. You can do it with one. You, right. you know, you save money, you save on efficiency and, and you gain clipping, and you, you get all these benefits that stack up. So now what I'm seeing, and, and NextTracker is being the guinea pig. They're jumping into that space, and they're taking models that I've built for them, and they're mm-hmm. commercializing it. And it's great. It's so exciting. You know, when you think about it, there's not a lot of solar companies jumping into storage. They're different companies. First, I thought it was going to happen with SunPower when Total bought Saft, but I don't see a lot of integrated mm-hmm. Saft SunPower systems coming out. They seem to be separate still. Tesla Solar City. I thought I'd it there but they're still you know developing battery projects and they're developing solar projects they are developing both as well but they connect on the ac side they don't look very integrated in fact the powerwall version one was a dc coupled product that they discontinued in light of the second generation which they praise as you know lighter cheaper and more efficient and Mm -hmm. more capacity what they really did is switch to ac coupling and that does simplify products a lot dc coupling is harder from an engineering perspective. And then we saw Sun Edison do it. They're a solar company that got into storage, but we all yeah. know that story. So Next Tracker to me is the last standing or the first standing company who's saying, no, 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 we're a solar company, but we're going to do solar plus storage, but we're going to do it right. And we're going to do it with this next phase in mind, which is not just demand reduction, but it's, A better total solution, solar Mm -hmm. plus storage. And this is where it gets really interesting. When you do a slight modification to the software in an inverter in a DC coupled framework, this is really easy to do. No measurement verification, just a firmware update in the inverter. You can require the battery to only charge from solar and nothing
0: else. Tell me about battery net metering and why you believe that's the the frontier that will pull true solar plus storage into not just... Existence, but thriving.
1: Batteries need to do more than just demand reduction. That's only a part of the story. Uh They need to shift solar generation to when customers in the grid need it the most, which is not at high noon. It's later in the evening. So we need to start shifting energy now, not just reducing power with demand, but shifting energy. In addition, there are these capacity constraints on the grid. These are real. And I know the solar industry is bearing the front of this because we're talking about changing net metering laws because of it. So This is not just about promoting batteries or solar plus storage. It's really about saving solar. Selling batteries is difficult. Selling solar plus storage makes the battery story so much cleaner because now we're not reducing demand. We're also shifting energy and we're doing what I might call infrastructure deferral. What I mean very concretely, and we talk about value stacking and stuff ephemerally sometimes, but what I actually mean is there are these caps. Like, for example, NEM policy has a cap in California of one megawatt, NEM 2.0, does lift the one megawatt cap, but they also throw in some fine print in there that says anything over a megawatt. Utilities can throw the cost book at you to upgrade all their infrastructure. So a lot of developers and EPCs I work with still consider there to be a soft one megawatt cap. And that's just a policy cap. There's also technical, like interconnection caps. Certain parts of the grid are congested. There's too much solar there or the feeders are too small. You need to add a neutral or recloser. You need to upgrade transformers. I mean, this we're population growth, load growth, you know, our grid is getting outdated and, and infrastructure is getting constrained. So what is great about a DC coupled system is you can supersize the DC to AC ratio, which most solar guys know, that's the ratio of your DC nameplate rating to the AC nameplate rating of your inverter. So we typically use like 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, roughly DC to AC ratios, but when you DC couple, you can do stuff like 1.8, 1.9, 2.0 DC to AC ratios, which does a bunch of magic. One, it gives the customer Let's just take two megawatts DC, one megawatts AC as an example. Let's say that's a system. Customer gets two megawatts of energy now, but the grid only sees the impact of one megawatt AC. And they see it not just in one moment in time, but more smooth and spread out over time. But that's fine with them. That's actually what they want. They don't like intermittency. They actually prefer more baseloady type of profiles. So that's a win-win. Customer gets all the energy of a two meg system. The utility only sees the impact of a one meg system. Mm -hmm. What we're actually doing is three things now. We're demand reducing, we're energy shifting, and where you draw the line, by the way, between those two things gets really blurry because you do both. You know, you arbitrage energy and you reduce demand when you do either of those two things. And then finally, you're deferring infrastructure upgrades by limiting one megawatt AC, that impact to the utility grid. The utility grid now no longer has justification to build more stuff and rate base it to the consumer. And the company who's selling all this stuff gets to sell more stuff. So it's win-win-win. Customer gets all the energy they need with the utility getting less power impact with the
0: EPC or the developer making more margin. I'm having a hard time telling whether or not you're passionate about this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll give a little shout out to industry friend and uh, other podcasts, the Solar Wake Up Live with Jan. They just recently interviewed Josh Pruer. And the reason I bring it up is because FlexGen also is sort of staking their claim on DC Coupled. I'm a total neophyte to this. I'm just learning how this works. But I want to just state for the audience that Next Tracker is out. They're going to get a lot of arrows in the back. They're certainly out leading the charge. There are other companies like FlexGen and others who are taking their approach to DC Coupled. I think this is a fascinating topic, one which we could do numerous hours of discussion around. You know, this question is, what's the frontier? And I think that like few people have been able to do, you more than adequately explained what the implications of battery net metering are. And not only that, but how one method of going about achieving it in a way that would get the stakeholders excited, right? The utilities. Yeah. Because the one thing that we've missed all along is that, not that we've missed, but the piece that's missing is we've been in a battle with them instead of trying to find a solution that they will acknowledge and put their stamp of approval on. To
1: exactly your point, we've always been head to head with utilities, but with this net energy metering issues and laws... And by the way, to my last point, when you demand reduce, energy shift, and infrastructure defer, now NEM becomes critically important. The battery has to be able to export energy into the grid, which is why we need net energy metering for batteries. Right. Then you have to put some firmware into the inverter to restrict.
0: Because you can't incentivize brown energy. You need to incentivize the thing that we're actually creating these buckets of policy or rate-based incentive around.
1: Exactly. And utilities, they don't want you to just buy their energy and sell it right back to them at a markup.
0: Which is what STEM and Green Charge and others have gotten really good at. (laughs) Yeah,
1: right, right, right. But by restricting the battery to only charge from PV, there's so much magic that just falls into place for both industry and the utilities, which brings us together. And this was actually the least controversial rule discussion that the CPUC commissioners told me they've ever witnessed. Wow. the utilities were totally on board with this. They were like, wait, if you just limit the battery to only charge from the solar okay they didn't say that i said that <laughs> and they agree they were like oh yeah if you do it that way yeah you're right we will approve this this does make sense if you right. if because if the battery only charges from the solar it sort of just becomes an accessory of the renewable facility generating property and according to the rps guidelines and the rule book and we we ripped apart all these policies and codes we weren't actually creating anything new we weren't violating any existing policy which the utility
0: loved. They're like, wow, there was no change in any existing rules or policies. That is amazing. And do you know what I want to understand? Because I think that's brilliant. I want to understand the meeting before you went to present it to the CPUC, when what now has become the California Solar and Storage Association was brainstorming, okay, how are we going to get these guys on board? Could you give me like a 30 second, one minute, like put me inside the room where you guys go, that's it. This is what we're going to hang our hat on.
1: Kelsa, And Brad Hevner, get all the credit for this, we saw this coming, solar plus storage needed to happen, Mm -hmm. and it needed to be done more intelligently than the way it's currently being done, you know, i.e. DC coupled, firmware modification, blah, blah, blah. So in partnership with NextTracker, Sepi Solar NextTracker came to CALSA and said, how do we get the utilities to buy into this? And they said, you know, they may actually even want to support this. Let's not do petition filing modifications and advice letters just yet. Let's just go talk to them. We got in the door with PG&E first, and we met with two departments, Interconnection Group and the Policy Group. Interconnection Group had no problem with this. They're like, uh, we don't really care what you put on the DC side. If you put a one megawatt AC inverter in front of us, we will treat your system like a one megawatt AC system. Check the box. Great. Yeah. They're like, look, we're just worried about safety and just making sure the grid actually works from a technical standpoint. So grid constraints, whatever, just stay below those limitations, right. those technical limitations, and we got you covered. NEM policy people was tougher because they're like, well, you know, you're putting batteries together with solar. You know, we don't really have policies that directly address that. You're not hedging or arbitraging our own electrons to and from the grid when you. Restrict it to only charge from solar. If all the electrons coming out of the battery come from solar, we know with 100% certainty that that is a policy that lives today that is allowed to NEM, Mm -hmm. and you're not changing the rules. And so they were just, they were honestly, there was just a bit of confusion. They were just like, we don't know if we can allow this or not. We're not opposed to it. We don't know how to be for it necessarily, so why don't we do this? Let's say this works, let's come up with a test regime, a test protocol to prove that it works, how do you test an inverter to ensure it never allows grid charging to a battery? Because there's two ways to prevent that problem from buying energy and then selling it right back to the grid at a markup. One is to never export into the grid, non-export, right. and which is what most battery companies do today. And then the other is to non-import, just don't charge the battery from the grid. So we wanted to go that route. Nobody had done that yet. And it doesn't require any big rule changes. So we put some test regimes in place. And then what was great is we got UL to witness test it and then verify it. And so that was great because, hey, utility, you don't need to take our word for it, take UL's word for it, and they love that. So in partnership, I guess, with NextTracker, UL, Avalon Battery, Ideal Power, you know, the battery and the inverters that we were working with, and this test regime that Seppi Solar put together and negotiated directly with the utilities, we all came to agreement that, whoa, this actually works. And you demonstrated it. You were the guinea pig, and you did it. Like, great. Now let's go to the CPC and file it and just get the yes. And we've had some ex parte meetings with the CPC, like deputy commissioners, and they've told us, like, wait, so you put this together, you showed it to the utilities. And they agree with you. So what do you want from us? What's the problem here? And we're like, well, yeah, I guess we just did your job for you, just to prove it. Okay. And we'll we'll see what happens, you know. So
0: So I want to just point out before we move on, I find that folks as they're maturing in their career, they start to try to understand the various elements of building a business, right? And if you go back and listen to Dan Sugar's first episode, and there are a few other key examples of folks that we've interviewed on Suncast that point to this, there's a vast like chasm between sales which is understanding the value proposition of a product and getting that into the market and business development. And I find a lot of folks on their LinkedIn it says business development and they don't understand policy. They don't know who works at the utilities. They don't know the local decision makers in the muni that they're trying to influence for schools to have solar. If you are curious at all or have been up to this point, what does business development look like? This is a mini masterclass on what it takes to get new thought into the world. What it takes to get new technology past the gatekeepers and to get policy in the United States, which is the number one driver, to get policy built around the infrastructure you want to sell. And for all of you who are doing this in Latin America, this is exactly the way it has to be done. It's time tested and proven across time and across category that, I mean, I think that one of the things that amazes me is like Dan Sugar is a master at this, right? He's done it since his days in, in. he talked about this, since his days in the 90s working at PG&E. This is how real change is made. You understand the problem you're trying to solve and then you move the boulders out of the way, mechanically and emotionally, through finding win-win-win, like you said. And this, I think, is a really, really smart one that our industry, years from now, will look back on and say, how did that actually happen? And I'm glad. Like I'm, I'll, I'll be glad to say, hey, you should go listen to episode X with Josh Weiner if you really want to know how that happened, because that was a masterclass, my friend. Thank you for explaining that. In hindsight, looking back on it,
1: I never thought of what I did as business development or corporate development or business anything, I look at businesses like systems. Mm. And then you can expand that, by the way. The business is a system, but the business relationship to its customers and to utilities and regulators. That is also a system. And it all needs to work, I think, to build consensus and to make these businesses thrive. Yeah. Thinking of it like for me, it's helpful to think of it like a system where everybody wins and everybody's piece is accounted for and plugs into the puzzle where I see it falling apart is when somebody by brute force or gets really, I don't know, knuckleheaded or tunnel vision, I don't know, and sort of like plows a direction and pushes people out or away. And I never see that working in the long term, maybe short term. It's got to be win, 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 or else if it's win, lose, it's really lose, lose. We have to cut out anything, that that ex parte thing. I think that's probably a no-no. No, no. It's that's public a, information. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. I thought ex parte that's like a really scary thing to it just means it just means out, outside of session, outside of session. Yeah. And that could be um, I don't know, I, I thought I thought the CPUC um, had got um, had to resign because he had ex parte discussion. Oh, no, no, no. The all ex parte means is um you're you're having a discussion outside of session and it does the the whoever you're talking to is not allowed to tell you anything about their decision-making process. They're not allowed to say, we're thinking of deciding this. Okay. We're thinking... Right. They could get in trouble in a next party meeting by divulging what they're thinking. We get to, on our side, on the industry side, we get to say whatever the heck we want and they can just say anything. You know. They just have to listen to us. Okay. <laughs> All right. Just wanted to make sure we're not going to get in No, no, I think we we'll... Thanks, Nico, for getting Josh arrested. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes... If I got arrested, that would be... Think of all the work I could get done if I was in prison. (laughs) All (laughs) right. Can I leave this in? This whole discussion? Yeah. Go for it.
0: Oh, man. So for those of you who don't know, your good friend and mine, Tor Valenza, Solar Fred, is uh, working at Seppi Solar. And that's his voice in the background, trying to help us keep things on the straight and narrow. One of my favorite people in solar right there. I'm going to move on to our next segment. You have such experience with entrepreneurs and as an entrepreneur. What advice might you give yourself back when you were starting on this journey so many years ago? Be very patient. <laughs> I consider
1: myself a very impatient person, but I've had people tell me I am one of the most patient people they know. Mm-hmm. And I think both things have really helped me in life. Like being impatient has served me In that regard, to staying ahead of the curve and being clever and helping solve problems that are meaningful to people. But then also being patient because it doesn't happen as fast as we all like. Another way to think of it is I'm very impatient, maybe with my business or with my market or my industry. I'm very patient with my people. And so that principle has served me quite well.
0: Along the same line, is there a principle or a lesson or takeaway that you've gleaned from your mentors and coaches that has helped you along in your career? Yeah, do everything with integrity
1: and being true to my relationships. Yeah, I mean, taking care of that customer, right? I mean, it comes back to my driver. My motivation is to help people and to stay curious. You know, what is the pain point? How do I help this person? What is the best way to help this? One of my clients, Ben Lochtenberg of Zero Solar, taught me very early: always need to take care of that customer. There's so much that gets done, like you're you're making them by saving them money on their bill, we're not just selling solar panels, right? We're creating freedom. We're creating independence. We're solving cancer. We're delivering pizzas. (laughs) We're doing laundry. Like Whatever the business is, that's the business we're in. We're helping these people with their businesses, with their families. And there's so much magic that happens every time you help a customer. You're saving them money, making them more independent. You're creating jobs. You're making a cleaner, greener environment for everybody. The country is getting more independent at the same time. Utilities are whether they admit it or not, are benefiting. It's like, you. in fact, every time you install a solar system, you are bringing down 100-year-old infrastructure and policies and programs that have been designed over the last several decades. And with one decision, with one customer to help them, you literally break that whole system. It's really magical. Yeah, helping the customer and staying close to them and listening to them and helping them and finding those win-win-wins is, is really critical.
0: Very cool. You guys have the blessing of having your fingers in a lot of pies. And so that means that behind the scenes, as you mentioned, you're helping a lot of entrepreneurs solve problems. A lot of developers figure out where they should be going. In one of the presentations for SEPI, I saw that you guys do a lot of discovery, right? So in that discovery, what do you see entrepreneurs and developers consistently doing that you just want to say, guys, stop. Like I've seen this before. Can I give you some advice? doing it alone, doing
1: it solo, or saying, I'm the best, I'm the shit, everybody else take a back seat, follow me. I really do believe it's a team effort, and that's a common mistake, is not putting the people first. Nothing I've ever done or accomplished would have happened without the support and strength and love and generosity of strangers and colleagues and competitors. It's really, truly a team effort. It's an ecosystem. It is more difficult to do something in a team, but it is so worth it. Like, and and it is so much more sustainable and long term. you can solve smaller problems more temporarily on your own. But if you wanna solve longer term, more challenging and bigger problems, it is done with a team.
0: What's the book that you've gifted the most and why? The Four Agreements. Wow. Have you ever, have you heard of that one? What a powerful book. Yeah, I've read it. Simple, to the point,
1: direct. And four, very easy lessons, maybe not so easy to implement, but just simple, easy to remember, definitely works with everything. If I remember correctly, being true to your word, which is like the integrity part of the equation, saying what you do, doing what you say. I think he called it actually being impeccable with your word, Mm -hmm. not making assumptions, which is really easy to do in construction, not taking things personally. You know, When somebody says you're a good person or you're a bad person, it's not a statement about you. It's a statement about their experience of you. And that's important to hear. And then finally, always doing your best. Those are the four agreements I think I, I live by and I've gifted that book the most.
0: As we wrap up, Josh, where can people find you? How can they connect with
1: you? You can always reach me at info at com. Our website, sepisolar.com. And connect with me on LinkedIn. If you search my name, Joshua Weiner, W-E-I-N-E-R, should come up. And then on Twitter as well, I'm at sepisolarjosh.
0: Well, I have one question that is okay for you to be selfish on. Is there any way Suncast as an audience can help you? Is there something we can do on behalf of the Seppi Solar? Mission?
1: Keep doing what you're doing, helping people like me get into the spotlight and sharing my story is I think what you are amazing and awesome at. And I am so grateful for this and for you. And so my only request is please keep doing what you're doing. It's great. This is this was so much fun. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I echo that request in every intro, and I genuinely mean it. I ask the audience to recommend folks that should be on the show. And Tor is a close friend of mine. And I just take for granted when Tor says you should talk to this guy, he's right. Man, did he nail it this time. Mm -hmm. So let's end today with a bold prediction. Joshua, one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? This is a
1: big crystal ball.
0: And I'm not (laughs) saying it's
1: right by any stretch of imagination, but First, solar plus storage plus microgrids solve an energy problem. And when you have a ubiquitous, clean amount of sustainable energy that is accessible to everyone, you can start to solve serious, serious world problems that policy has just unfortunately been unable to solve. I I am a believer that technology, based on the evidence that I have, that I've seen like medicine and of course, solar, technology is a great solution for lots of life problems. We try to solve them with policies and governments. And I think those are valiant and great noble efforts. But technology, I want to go the technology route. I think it's a little faster and for whatever reason, easier for my poor brain. So solving the energy problem allows us to solve a water problem because getting clean water that's accessible to everybody requires a lot of energy. You know, just thinking about boiling water, for example, you know, it takes... Boiling water from zero to 99 degrees Celsius takes a certain amount of energy, but then getting the water boiling from 99 to 100 takes a lot more energy to get just one more degree. And so solving the energy problem gets us in position to solve a water problem. And when you solve an energy and a water problem, you can start to talk about growing local organic sustainable food and agricultural infrastructure, which right now is part of our greenhouse gas and energy problem as well. So solving energy, then on the water, then the food, then when you solve those problems, and I mean, now we're 20, 30, 40, hopefully not that far out, years out. But then when you're getting people, everyday people, the basic necessities they need to live by, it starts in my mind to change the value of money. Money starts to become a luxury instead of a necessity. You don't need it to live because you've got your basic needs met. It's a little communistic or socialist. I don't know. But I I did read a lot of Karl Marx actually in high school. So I I don't say that drives my business decisions. But there is something very beautiful about getting all of our needs met on our own just by nature and some technology mixed together, making us less dependent on currency. And what I might say is our really screwed up financial system will start a whole new culture and DNA of society and civilization that I think benefits everybody and and when we start getting into blockchain I think we'll start ex- instead of currency which is a proxy for value until you take the gold yeah. standard away and the rest right. exchanging true value like seeds or kilowatt hours or water bottles, whatever, that's where you actually start to create a society that can exchange goods and services without the market manipulation that we experience through currency. And the whole world starts to get way more integrated and better
0: and more efficient and lovely. Crystal ball. (laughs) It's clear to me why someone with a philosophy degree would feel quite at home is sepi solar josh <laughs> weiner ceo of sepi solar thanks again for being on suncast you continue to amaze and inspire me i look forward to meeting you in person someday soon
1: likewise thanks so much nico hey
0: tribe while i still have your attention i'd like to say thank you again the fact that you're still listening means you really enjoy the work that we're bringing to life if that's true Won't you consider becoming a member of the Suncast Energy Tribe? There are two ways you can do that, and they're both outlined on the website at mysuncast.com forward slash member, as well as in episode 86 of Suncast, in case you didn't yet have a chance to listen. A special shout out to Energy Tribe members Scott Muller and Natalia Flores, who have been constant supporters and are true solar warriors. You can join them at mysuncast.com forward slash member. And I look forward to formally welcoming you into the tribe as well, my friend. And thanks again for showing up. It's half the battle.